May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Don't worry. That's Jesus' advice to his friends. He says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled, or don't worry, which is sort of funny advice in a way, isn't it? I mean, it's not like if you're worrying, you have a choice. If your heart is troubled, it is troubled. It's like being in love or being afraid, being nervous. It doesn't do any good to say, don't be nervous if you're nervous. Stop feeling that way. Stop being afraid. Our emotions are not controlled by a spigot. It's not like we could just simply say to ourselves, stop doing this, and it stops. And yet that's what we say to someone when they feel that way. Um, I think the disciples, in some sense, must have realized that there was something going on, that, um, that what they thought was about to happen wasn't going to happen the way they had anticipated. Uh, there were problems ahead. Don't worry, Jesus says to them. It's what we say to a frightened child, right? When a child comes into a parent's room, um, you say to, to him or her, don't be afraid, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Or, or there's nothing to be afraid of. And then you go through the little conversation. Well, what, in fact, were you afraid of? Well, there's a monster, you know. Do you remember being a child and you would look at something like you were lying in bed awake and you were, you know, feeling intimidated? And for me, I would always, like, look at something and I would, after a while, I was certain I saw movement, you know. Like, that closet door was open and there's, there's something in there moving, you know. Or, or it was under the bed. I mean, often it was... The monster under the bed for me. That, that's where it was. And, and I had to know. And, and I would call out to my mother who would come in and, and uh, she would say, you know, something like, don't be silly. There are no such things as monsters. And, you know, flip on the light. Look, there's nothing moving in the closet. And I would say, can I get out of bed? I need to look underneath, you know, <laughs> get out, look down there. There's nothing there. And then the lights would go out, things would start moving again, you know, and it would be all over again. And after a while, she would be a little less patient with me, you know. There's nothing to be afraid of. Stop worrying. And even though we get a little frustrated when people say it to us, we do turn it around all the time, don't we, and say it back to others. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't cry. And Jesus is saying this to his friends. Don't be upset. Don't fret. Don't let your heart be troubled. But what else are you going to say? What else are you going to say when somebody has an unreasonable fear, like a monster under their bed? You talk reason. You try to, you try to be, uh, appeal to reason, appeal to their, their, their rationality. There's nothing to be afraid of. Listen, we say. Think about this. And then we go through all the sort of knowledge things that we have, thinking that knowledge begets some sort of security. And normally it does. Not always, but normally it does. There are other times when you can't appeal to knowledge, where you can't simply say to someone, um, you know, you know this or you know that, because we don't know. There's, there's often this, um, in philosophy, it's called epistemology. It, it's how we know what we know. That There's this epistemological gap, this, this gap between what we know and what we don't know. And some things that we do know, you know, there are things in the world that, that we have some certainty about about the fact that even though you can't feel it, the earth is, is, is moving. It, it is uh, it, it's revolving every 24 hours. It's making a complete... And, and it's, it's moving around the sun. The, the earth is revolving around the sun, or some version of that. Um, there's a little bit more to that if you, if you want to get into cosmology. But for the sake of argument, the, the planets are in motion. The universe is moving. We know that... Um, 
that the sun has a, you know, an effect on us, that without it we would die. We know that, um, that gravity affects everything. We know that there's no sense in trying to hurry a woman when she's not ready. I'm not going to say, or men, you know, men are also slow. Um, you can't pick on women on Mother's Day, can you? I mean, that's just not right. I'll probably get fined for that one later. Uh, we know that, that there are things that we're coming to know, that we don't know in, in, in total, but we're coming to know them. We, we know that there are vegetation at the, at the bottom of the ocean that we just, we just have recently discovered existed, didn't even know that it was there. Certain types of life forms. We, we realize there's more and more about planets that we didn't know. But there are some things that we can never know. There are some things in this world that are going to remain with, beyond our grasp of knowledge. Particularly, what happens when we die. This is, um, this is Hamlet's struggle, isn't it? Hamlet is so frustrated, he wants to die. He, he talks about death as a, a consummation devoutly to be wished. But then he goes on and he thinks about it, right? And he says to die, to sleep. Oh, to sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? Hamlet's worried. You know, I don't know what's that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. It puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have and fly to others we know not of. This is what Hamlet uses in this real struggle. Who knows what happens? This is, this is it. What happens when the heart stops beating? And this my friends, is the monster in the closet for grown-ups. This is the one we want to tell people, you know, oh, don't be afraid. And this is what Jesus is talking to his friends about. That he's going away to prepare a place. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's no wonder that this passage of Scripture is a favorite in funerals. But this is not for a funeral. This is for the living we all come to the same epistemological cliff. The, the, the end of knowledge and the beginning of what is unknown. Jesus has his friends here. And the question is, for them, how then will you live? See, this is the real issue. Will you believe me? Will you trust me? Will you live into this or will you not? Will you come to the edge of this knowledge cliff and, and say, I'm going to trust you? Or will you fall back on your own defenses? His friends, his closest friends are there. Thomas speaks up first. Um, perhaps you call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas is an amazing character, but he's, um, he's by far the most rational in the group, right? And he says, you know, Lord, we actually don't know where you are going. You know, um, perhaps if you could tell us with a little more specificity. <laughs> this is exactly what he says, but it's pretty close. He knows that what Jesus is saying is not about taking a walk. There are no GPS coordinates for this. Where exactly are you going? Because if we knew, well, then we might have a little more confidence in this. And Jesus' answer, Philip, or Thomas, rather, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. I think what Jesus is saying is if you want to find out for sure, it's on the other side of this epistemological cliff, you have to walk with me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the model. I am the knowledge that you have and, and life's meaning. And I think a lot of Christians of late have turned this into some doctrinal statement. It's not doctrinal. It's practical. 
It's pragmatic. If you believe in me, follow me. Literally, live the way that I live. Philip gets in on this a little bit. And he says, you know, perhaps if you would just show us the Father, you know, maybe sneak us into the throne room of heaven while he's not looking. You know, let us, let us look around a little bit. Maybe if we just could see what's going on, we would have a little more comfort, a little more knowledge, a little more security. And Jesus' answer to Philip, you've been with me this long and you still want to know what God looks like? He looks like this, like this sort of life that you see, the life of Christ himself. You need more proof. You don't get more proof. This is it. A lot of people have talked about the Christian religion and the Christian gospel as being a message of, you know, sort of turn or burn, you know, that either you you follow Christianity's teachings or, you know, you go to hell. That is not the gospel. That is not it at all. And anybody who says that has never actually read it. This is a gospel that is good news. That that Jesus says that he has come to bring God to humanity. He brings, he takes the initiative in bringing life to humanity. So it's not about dodging an angry God. It's about discovering a welcoming one. It's not about seeing and believing. It's about believing and seeing. But here's the issue. It's about faith. This is, it, it, this is the same for atheists as for, well as for Christians. That life ultimately will be lived by faith. It matters not whether you are uh, Christian, Muslim, or atheist. You could have, have no God or a specific one. It's still a life of faith. Um, Fifty years ago, Billy Graham said that, that preachers should preach with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another I suppose, I haven't heard him lately, but maybe he would say, you know, an iPad in the other, I don't know, whatever, whatever it be. That, the fact is that the Bible speaks to very real here and now life. Not, um, not, not a mythical one, but a very pragmatic one. Stephen Hawking, I don't know if you know him, one of the most famous scientists in the world, um, British, a movie about him not too long ago. But Stephen Hawking um, has a, a disease, sort of like ALS, and it has crippled his body, but he's had this, I think, for now probably about 50 years or so. Uh, he's, he's managed to live with it, but he's, um, you know, he, he can't even speak. He uses a computer to speak. But a, 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 an unbelievably brilliant mind. He's made science his life. And he had uh, recently talked about what he thought it happens after death. And here's what, here's what Stephen Hawking says. He said, I regret, regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. Well, this man who's made science his life, knowledge his life, is not speaking about what he knows, but what he believes. You see, this is a matter of faith. I regard, could easily be translated, I believe, or I suppose, or I think. I'm of the opinion of. See, the ultimate answer to life is, is, is about faith. The question is, in what do you place your faith? Do you place your faith in nothing? In yourself? Or in God? It matters what we believe. Because all of our lives are guided by what we believe to be true. 
And what we believe matters. It matters in this world, and it certainly will matter in the next. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.